Um, come on up. We're going to all sit up here together. Look at you. I like how you guys are like doing it, but we're still four or five rows back. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Come on up. We're going to sit up front, guys. Come on up. We're going to sit together as a group. I know it's going to be different, but it's going to be okay as well. I'm talking to everybody. Yeah. Middle, middle sections. Calvani, Burger, let's go. Isn't that nice? Isn't that great? Being uncomfortable? Neno? Neno, dude, I'm calling you too. Randy? Randy's moved up a couple rows. That's a big step. I love it. We're getting there. We're getting there. Maybe next week we'll all be in the two middle rows. Yeah. Right on time. Good morning. It's so good to see. Yeah. Hey, you know, we're making baby steps. Little steps in the right direction, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's great to see you all. Love you all. Uh, I'm excited for this new study that we're going to be doing. It's a 12-week study in discipleship. Uh, so we'll be going over what it is this morning so we can set up our, ourselves for the next 12 weeks. Um, but let's start in prayer, and we will get started. Lord, we thank you for this group that's here. We thank you that people sacrifice their morning to come and learn about what a disciple is, to learn about your word especially. I pray that you use me in a way that's um, edifying to your body, that they are encouraged, that they are built up, that they are able to see what a disciple is and use this knowledge as wisdom and understanding to apply your word. Lord, and that is the point of all this, is to apply your word, be doers of your word, show each other love as we've been commanded to do. Lord, and I pray that that is our heart, that is our prayer for one another, and I pray that you bless this time this morning, and we pray this in your son's name, amen. So, what is a disciple? If you've been a Christian for any point or any amount of time, uh, you'll hear the words disciple and discipling used in a number of different ways. And as we begin this morning, it might be helpful to get a better understanding um, of the images and ideas of those, what those words bring to mind. So what do you think of when you hear the word disciple, and what does the word disciple bring to mind for you guys? And, and give, me, give me what comes to mind when you hear disciple. Follower? Student, teaching. What's in the trade, like journeyman and master, what's the first step? Apprentice. Apprentice. Trainee. Anything else come to mind? Disciple or discipling, what does it mean? Discipline, good word. Care, also a good word. Follower, and then what was that? 
Jesus' disciples, right? Those are examples that we're going to be looking at. Student, good. All good words. So um, there's a lot of ideas of what a disciple may be, but most essentially in the Bible, a disciple is presented as someone who follows after the life and teaching of another. In fact, as we consider in more detail shortly, the last command that Jesus gave to his followers was the command to go and make disciples. And that's in Matthew 28. As followers of Jesus ourselves, we have a keen interest in knowing how we can be obedient, best be obedient to that command and to go and be about the work of making disciples. So what we'll refer to as the work of discipling is going out and doing the work that God has commanded us. So number one, what is a disciple? We need to start by considering biblically what some of the marks of a disciple may be. Certainly, we may be tempted to look at the first disciples or the 12 disciples spoken of in the New Testament, but they often have a unique role that may not be fully transferable to us. However, if we look through the broader witness of Scripture, we can get a pretty good picture of what we are aiming at when we talk about discipling. And so what are some general marks of a disciple of God? And here are a few. First, it's a response to God's initiating call. We see that in Matthew, or sorry, Mark 1, and when Jesus is literally calling the disciples to himself. And they dropped everything that they were doing and they followed Christ. Secondly, it's a desire to know what God says. Um, in your handouts, there's many references to each of these points, and I encourage you to look at all of them uh, later on. But right now, um, in Romans 10, 17, for a desire to know what God says, it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's a desire to know that. First Peter 2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Uh, thirdly, a break from the world standards. A break from the world standards. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will always provide you a way out. 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So it's a break from the standard of, of what the world has. Self-discipline, we heard that today in uh, what an idea of a disciple is. Self-discipline is a very big one. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it's the fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruit of the Spirits is what? Self-control. Verse 24, right after the fruit of the Spirit, it says, crucify the flesh and its passions. Self-discipline. Matthew 16, 24, it literally says to deny self. Luke, or uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 25 and through 27 says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I dis dis discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I should be disqualified. So self-discipline is a true mark of a disciple. Uh, fifthly, a desire to seek and encourage with other disciples. Acts 2, 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and what? The fellowship. The fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. So it's a desire to seek and encourage others. 
Um, read all of those passages in that, in that example. Those are all very, very good ones to look at. Uh, second to last is passion for evangelism. Um, does anybody off the top of their head know what evangelism is? It's a couple words to define it. Yeah, sharing the gospel is a good one. Um, to convert is, is really, but it also means to preach. Evangelism. And so what do we do regularly to one another? We preach to one another, right? What do we remind each other of? The gospel, continually. So it's not only, it is, but it's not only converting others to Christ through the word and being a witness, but it's also preaching to one another. And so um, passion for evangelism, I'm going to read 1 John uh, chapter 3. It's going to be about five verses starting in verse 16. So listen to this. And this is a reference in, in passion for evangelism. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love the world or, or talk, I'm sorry, let's, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the, his commandment. Here it is. It's two parts. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and what? We love one another. Just as he has commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So passion for evangelism is loving one another, evangelizing continually to one another, reminding each other of the gospel and being witnesses to the outside world. And lastly, perseverance, perseverance. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so perseverance, persevering through everything that the world throws at us because we find our strength in Christ. So we won't spend any more time on these points now, um, just, just yet, but those are some traits in a disciple that we should seek and encourage if we are at work trying to make biblically faithful disciples. So secondly, number two, the larger context for discipling, and it's the local church. While it helps to know the outline of what a disciple looks like, uh, we also need to know what discipling looks like according to the scriptures, and that's what's most important. It's not what we think. We could come up with a lot of different definitions of the work of discipling, and there's not a single authoritative definition that we get from Scripture. Rather, disciple-making is a process that is so critical to the message of the Bible, we find the theme of discipleship running through the whole entirety of Scripture. In the Old Testament, we see God's people regularly commanded to constantly disciple one another by reminding each other of God's faithfulness in talking about his deeds, especially his rescue of them 
from Exodus to Egypt, what do they continually do? Remind each other who God is. In the New Testament, we see the disciple-making process begun in the ministry of John the Baptist as he prepares men and women for the coming of Christ. We see it in Christ's work as he calls out and trains his initial followers. We see it as the church forms in the book of Acts to implement the risen Christ command to go and make disciples. And we see that lived out in the book of Acts. We see it in the uh, epistles as the church grows in her understanding of the uh, disciple-making task for both the church as a whole and for individual believers. So as we talk about discipling, we need to also define the scope of what we have in mind. For the most part, in this class, we'll be talking about relational one-on-one discipling. You relating to another person or two with the aim to do them good spiritually. But that is not the whole of how disciple-making takes place. It's not even the most important way that disciple-making takes place. Think of discipling on a much larger scale in what we do together as a church in our public worship services on Sundays. It's, at its core, discipling is what will happen, Lord willing, in just a little while when a preacher stands before us and expounds God's word to us. It's teaching and preaching. Disciple making is what the church does in the songs we sing, in the scriptures that's read, in the weekly opportunities to serve together and encourage one another, in the relationships of accountability that it fosters, and in the, mutual, the mutuality of gifts and love that make up the body of Christ here while we're on earth. In one sense, the church body is, is somewhat of a greenhouse that God himself has constructed to grow and cultivate disciples in Christ to the glory of God the Father. What we are talking about in this class, it's one-on-one discipling, is one of the many tools God employs in his so-called greenhouse, the church, and it should not be considered in isolation to the other, okay? So every believer, every believer, guys, don't miss this, every single believer who proclaims Christ is called to the work of discipling. Only a few will be called to preach. Only a few will lead public worship or or even teach larger larger groups. However, in the contention of this class, it is the contention of this class, that every Christian is called by God to contribute to the disciple-making work of the church through deliberate, mutually encouraging relationships. This is primarily what we are thinking about in this class, the interpersonal relating to other people that we ourselves can initiate. Keep in mind, one-on-one discipling should not be thought of as distinct from the larger group of the church. It works together with it. One-on-one discipling relationships must always fit within the broader biblical context of disciple-making work of the church, okay? So number three, what is discipling? What is it? So having said all of that, let's now consider what one-on-one relational discipling looks like. Based on the combination of biblical truth, I think that one way we we could helpfully define the work of discipling, it's, it's this. The intentional encouragement of Christians on the basis of deliberate, loving relationships and training in God's word. And that should be in your handouts, I believe. The intentional encouragement of Christians on the basis of deliberate, loving relationships and training in God's word. 
So while our definition, it's, it's not authoritative, but it is important. And the key words in this definition may be helpful to focus on, so we'll break it down uh, for a little bit. Discipling is intentional and deliberate. Intentional and deliberate. It's not something that just happens, does it? No. It's the result of a purposeful initiative on the part of who? Who? Someone else? You. You. Me. Right? You point, point the finger right here. So it's you and other Christians have the responsibility, but we need to focus first and foremost on our responsibility as a Christian. Okay, so intentional and deliberate. Secondly, it's, it, it, discipling involves encouragement. Christians need encouragement in order to be faithful and to persevere in their faith, don't they? Yes. Who, who gets downtrodden? Who gets weary? Who gets weak? Who, who beats themselves up? Yes, amen. And who needs encouragement? All of us. So we are called to do so, and that is a form of discipling. Discipling is focused on making followers of Jesus, which, for example, Christians. Christian is little Christ. Little Christ, you are a Christian. So not on just general moral reformation, or even worse, copies of yourself. Do we want to create copies of ourselves, little sinners? No, we want to create copies of Christ, of who we are striving to be like, right? When we disciple someone, do we point someone to ourselves? It's always, always look to Christ, look to Christ. Amen? So discipling is loving. To care for someone's soul in this way is love. It's how we carry out the command we just read in 1 John 3, the whole book of 1 John. It's love. They will know us by our love for what? One another. So, and finally, discipling is relational. It involves more than just watching a lesson on a video. It involves humans sharing our lives with others. Okay? So, to better understand this topic, I want us to spend the remainder of the class thinking about a few key components of this definition. We'll, we'll break them down here. So, first is biblical discipling is intentional and deliberate. Um, this is a big one. These are words that you're going to hear a lot in this class, intentional and deliberate. But we need to understand that making disciples is not something that just happens. It is the result of Christians responding in obedience to an imperative command of God, imperative command. The command to make disciples is not merely some strategy that we have dreamed up to grow this church. It is a command. Rather, it's at, at this is at its core the work that Jesus gave to his redeemed people, which is the church, as he prepared to return to the right hand of the Father. So recall the charge in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is not a charge simply to tell the gospel message, but to make disciples. That is to be the focus of our evangelism is disciple making, right? So what good does it do if you give someone the gospel and they say, I believe, and you leave them there? 
I mean, the, the Lord can do a great work in that, you know, by way of the Spirit, but what, we're missing what our calling is in the command of Christ, right? You don't just win someone to Christ by way of the Spirit and by way of God's Word and just leave them to themselves. That would be disobeying God's command, amen? <clears throat> so Jesus instructs his disciples to turn and make disciples of others. They are not going to make disciples of themselves, but of Jesus, and that is a focus. Just as he has done, they were to purposefully invest their lives in teaching others to follow Christ. And that is what we understand what we are called to do as Christians, to give ourselves intentionally, deliberately, and on purpose to the relationships with others in order to help them become mature followers of Christ. This is not just the work of special individuals either. Throughout scripture, we see that all of God's people are called to encourage one another as the mark of their own discipleship, um, discipleship of God. Okay, it's not just for the elders, it's not just for the deacons, it's not just for the teachers, um, it's for each and every person that claims that they are in Christ. So in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer to the Hebrews tells all the Christians receiving his letter, and what does he say in chapter 10? It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We've heard that repeatedly, guys, because we're going through Hebrews. Stir one another up in love and good deeds. Notice that he says us, right? Us is general, right? It's the, the pronoun that he uses. And one another, let us stir one another up, right? It's not an individual thing to do. This spurring on in the Christian life is presented here and throughout the scriptures as a normative work of God's people and not just a few paid professionals. And you also notice the words consider and spur. This is not merely something that happens if it happens, but something that the writer tells us to consider, to think about, to strategize for, to deliberately work toward the, with the purpose of spurring our brothers and sisters forward in love and growth as Christians, okay? So we can go on, but I hope that you get at least a little taste of the biblical truth that disciple making is not, it's not passive. To be faithful to the call to make disciples, we are called to jump into the work intentionally and deliberately, okay? So second, biblical discipling is relational. The idea that discipling is relational is interwoven through much of the Old and New Testaments. In the scriptures, we see a God who is not merely revealed, but a God who is relational with his people. He is with them. Throughout the Bible, we see God revealing himself, not merely to convey information, but in order to reveal truth that results in a relationship with him. At every turn, we see a God who is moving intentionally and deliberately toward ever deeper and more meaningful levels of relationship with his people. From the appearance of his law in the Exodus to the promise of God with us in Isaiah, to the appearance to an incarnate Christ in the Gospels, culminating in a face-to-face, -face, unmediated fellowship with God described in Revelation. So he is a relational God. He is not one that removes himself from his people. He is with his people. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us, right? When he sent Christ, he is with his people. 
So perhaps the reason that the process by which we work to build up God's people is so relational is that it pictures and describes the larger truth of the relational nature of God. We see this relational focus through the biblical description of God's assembled children in the local church. These assemblies are described as households, bodies, buildings, images that picture the interrelation and integrated work, workings of distinct parts. The, the simple transfer of information is not sufficient, right? Just telling someone something. The church is called to relate to one another in order to add a distinct relational aspect to everything it does. It's even one-on-one -on -one discipling. Just as with many other things in church life, one-on-one -on -one discipling is to take place in the context of loving, encouraging, Christ-centered relationships. By this, we get to know the life, the struggles, and the giftings of one another as well. And by this, we build a church culture of mutual edification as well. So thirdly, biblical discipling is loving. Intentional relational discipling is not cold and utilitarian. Rather, it is near the very essence of how God has called us to love one another within his church. We are called to deliberately pour out our lives for the spiritual good of others, just as Christ poured out his life for our eternal good. Certainly, Christ did for us what we could never do for one another. He bore our sins as a sinless substitute. We, we cannot do that. Still, we are called in our imperfect and fallen state to picture that perfect love of Christ. And how do we do that? By pouring out our lives for the spiritual good of others for their encouragement and for their blessing, is to live as Christ. That is what the Bible describes as love between Christians. The Apostle John clearly, in 1 John three sixteen, which I read, it says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What does that mean to say, lay down his life for us? Well, it can't, in this case, be referred to as atoning work, because we can't imitate that in our relationships with others. Uh, we are not the ones that atone for sins. Um, it must mean something else in this sense and something we as humans can imitate. So given that, I think it's clear that he's looking at the way Jesus poured out his life, not in death, but in discipling, but in serving others. And why did Jesus lay down his life for us? It's to glorify God and to do us good spiritually, to teach, model, encourage and love his people and his disciples. So we should picture that love in our own small ways by laying down our lives for others with the goal of glorifying God and doing them good. And that is what it means to love. So fourthly, biblical discipling involves training in God's word. We can't disciple if we don't know what God's word says can't just make this stuff up, right? Then it's, um, you know, you become somewhat of like a shaman or like a, you know, guru. Um, discipling involves training. It has both con content to convey and application to make. Yet this training cannot be in just anything. What we teach people and win them with is what they spend the rest of their life contemplating and doing. If we teach people to rely on themselves or turn to the things of this world, they will never find God. Discipling must be rooted in the word of God. It must, first and foremost. It is God's word that brings life. 
not the disciples' sage-like advice. Scripture self um, uh, self attestation. The, the, what it attests is to its power and ability to transform is evident throughout the entire canon. So Second Timothy. 3, 16, and 17, we have it above the, the windows there. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In its simplest form, disciple-making is the daily task of pointing others to God's word. As disciplers, we work hard not to cultivate a dependence on ourselves. Rather, we train Christians to, con to consistently turn to the scriptures, right? It's the scripture that washes us. It's the scriptures that sanctify us. It's the spirit in us that directs our hearts and minds to, to scripture, okay? So bullet point number four, biblical discipling is a pipeline. And so to better understand the concept of discipling, let's consider the, the image of a conduit for pouring spiritual blessings into the life of another person. Think of a construction equipment here. When a crane takes a piece of pipeline, it hoists it up into the air and it lays it between two adjoining pieces of pipeline. The purpose of a pipeline is to move fluid along in the direction where it should go, making sure it gets from its source to the intended destination. So biblical, biblical discipling is very much like a pipeline. Christians who root themselves in God's truth are in a position to do good to others. God uses Christians as conduits for his truth. We take in God's truth, we learn to live by it, and then pass it on to others. Okay, so if I had just two cups, here's God's truth, here's others, and there's a pipe that connects them, that's, and that's you. Okay, what happens to a, a pipeline that's um, gunked up? It's just being constantly poured into, but not flown out. I mean, a good example is the Dead Sea. Is anything live there? It can't, right? And so have you ever seen a gunked up pipe? It's pretty nasty too, getting that thing cleared out. So, but on a healthy pipe doing its purpose, all it does is transport whatever it is that it's transporting, right? So in this case, it's God's word. So if you're taking in God's word and not pouring out, um, that's not what a, a biblical Christian is called to do. And so... Pipes in themselves, they don't have a lot to be proud of, right? It's just a pipe, if you think about it. Do we get the glory? Does the pipe get the glory? No, it's God's word and his work. So the work of a pipeline is to simply be in the right place, channeling God's truth to others, right? So we have to ask ourselves, are we being pipelines, right? Is that a convicting truth? Are we pouring into others as we're commanded to by Christ? So... Roman numeral number five, it's, it's a process. It's not a program. It's a process. Why might it be easy to think of discipleship as a program instead of a process? Many programs have been devoted to grow disciples, but because every person is different and has different struggles and temptations, discipleship cannot so be easily packaged. At its core, discipling is essentially whatever we do intentionally to help other Christians grow up in holiness. It is a process of becoming like Christ. It's not a program. It may, 
mean reading a good Christian book and discussing it. It may mean outlining a book of the Bible together with somebody. It may mean going through a Sunday school class and discussing it over lunch. It may be sharing insights from the weekly sermon over coffee with one another. It may be bringing your kids over to play with another mom and in their home and discussing a devotional together when you have time. It may be inviting unmarried man or woman over um, as a couple for dinner and talking to them about what scripture teaches about marriage and parenting. Uh, we could go on and on. I mean, there's many, many examples of what discipling is, and it takes place throughout the week and on Sundays. Uh, so what discipling looks like in practice is pretty wide open. The key is that whatever you do should be rooted in the truth of Scripture and presented on the basis of an intentional loving relationship. In a nutshell, it's, it, that is what discipling is. So as we wrap up this first session... Um, as we move forward in this class, we'll consider a lot of specifics of what discipling looks like in practice. Uh, for example, how to discuss a book with someone else. Some people might not know how to do that. Um, how to study the Bible together and many other specific topics. But as we walk away this morning, I want to remind you of some bullet points is discipling is intentional and deliberate. You will hear that a lot. Uh, it doesn't just happen. It requires you deciding with God's help to work to be a conduit for pouring spiritual blessing into the life of another person as one aspect of your personal obedience to Christ's command to go and make disciples. Um, and this can be with one another. Um, if you're parents, it could be to your kids, to your wife. Um, if you're married, um, if you're single, it could be to those around you in church. Um, you can be a conduit to everyone around you. Amen. Discipling is also relational. Another bullet point to re be reminded of is it requires you reaching out to get to know other people and invest time in them for their spiritual good. Um, it can't really be done on a video link or an internet course. Um, it requires you, as part of the local church, to invest real time in people. And that doesn't come easily for all of us. Um, it's something that some of us need to grow in. Some people aren't extroverted, uh, but the people in the church, um, to be relational with them should come a little bit easier because we're one in Christ. We have the same spiritual foundation. Um, we're all united because of Christ, and we're all here for one reason, is to honor and glorify God. So we have the most important thing in common, uh, so it should help each other to reach out and maybe talk to someone that you don't know. Um, you guys are one in Christ, and you do have a lot to talk about because, you know, we have God's Word. We have struggles, okay? Uh, thirdly, uh, reminder is discipling is loving. There's no great, greater way that you can show love to f a fellow believer in Christ than by deliberately, thoughtfully considering how you can do them good spiritually through your relationship with them. It's the most loving thing. Thinking of someone and say, what do they need and how can I love them spiritually? How can I do them good to encourage them to follow Christ? to encourage them to be a better father or a mother or a, or a, a spouse, um, to be a better Christian, to be fill in the blank. Um, but looking out and being deliberate and, you're, and intentional with seeing the need of people and what they, may, they might need at that moment. Amen. And lastly, discipling involves training in God's word. We want the word to reform and change the people and do not want our opinions and personal ideas to transform and reform people. Right? In order to do that, we do need to know what the Word says. So we need to be 
discipline ourselves and be responsible uh, for the commands of Scripture and know what it says. So I encourage you to begin thinking of how you can grow in your own discipleship of Christ by becoming an intentional and deliberate contributor to the culture of discipling here at Pacific Oak Church. Amen. Um, is there any questions as we wrap up in our first session? Not everybody at once. Good? Yes, Lena. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. So for the recording, uh, the suggestion was um, memorizing scripture with another person, like Bible, Bible memory verses, and holding each other accountable with your discipleship partner. It's a great way. That's a good suggestion. I mean, does anybody have any um, maybe things what not to do that they've learned by, you know, just by trial and error or uh, things to do uh, that might help and encourage others, give each other ideas? Yes. Amen. So Michelle said that we have the church reading plan. Um, and the intent of that is to read through it as a church so we can all discuss what we read that week. Um, if we don't see each other throughout the week, say, hey, how did you do this week? And then, you know, how did it bless you? What did, what did you learn um, from scripture? Um, another accountability, and, and that's a great suggestion. That's the intent of it. Um, and that's also the intent of Sunday Matters. Um, so we can all refocus why Sunday does matter. We're here to glorify God. Um, and so we can encourage each other in that too and say, hey, did you read it? And then like, I was so blessed by this, you know, and this and, you know, encouraging one another, preaching to one another. Amen. Yeah, so home fellowship groups, we have three right now. So if um, you are able on a Wednesday evening, um, be involved because that's a group of people that have been meeting for long times and they have uh, special relationships because of those home fellowship groups. And there's a lot of discipling that goes on there, encouragement and, and learning. Mr. Bennett. Yeah, so, so lifting one another up, amen. So he, he said the best discipling that he's got is horizontal relationships, not someone um, like, say, I mean, even maybe a church leader or someone like preaching down or encouraging down at you, but coming alongside and encouraging and lifting up and, and going through it together, right? Just uh, whatever someone is, is enduring or whatever trial the Lord has them going through, but coming alongside one another, essentially. Is that, is that good? Anything else before we pray and wrap up? Yes, Joy. That's a good. That's a good point because. Um, we do tend to assume that everybody who comes in here is saved, 
but establishing the gospel with them first and foremost and uh, making sure that they are, because um, if they're not, that's a good place to start, right? Um, and counseling someone in the truth and in God's word, um, you know, and not, not your own thoughts and ideas, but pointing them back to Christ. And what better way to, for the spirit to work in someone's life than by pointing them to scripture, right? And reminding them what the gospel is if they're not saved. But that's, that's a good point. Anything else? Yes, Danielle. Yeah, that's a tough one, but it's a great suggestion. Practicing what you preach, right? Um, that's, that's a lifelong goal for all of us. Um, we are imperfect beings. We do not do it perfectly. So we have to remember to forgive ourselves. Um, that's something that I've had to remind myself constantly is for, I have to forgive myself as well because Christ has forgiven me. If I've confessed my sin, I need to be sure of that. That's what scripture says. So I can't continually beat myself up, right? So as you mess up, um, we do need to practice what we preach, but we will stumble and bumble along the way, um, lift each other up, right? Come alongside one another, encourage one another, um, and you keep moving, keep moving to Christ, keep moving forward. If anybody does it perfectly, let me know, because I need to take notes. All right, well, I'll pray, and then we'll end our time, and we've got uh, about 19 minutes before church starts. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this class. We thank you for this church. We thank you for one another. Lord, we thank you for who we are in you. We praise you for your strength, for your ability to save souls and to bring sinners to yourself. Lord, we thank you that we are part of that group, and I pray if there's anybody um, here that is not saved, Lord, that you bring them to repentance by way of your word and by way of your spirit, Lord, and grant them everlasting life in you. Lord, and we pray for this morning's service as we are ready to meet, Lord, the people that are still coming, protect them as they come. Lord, hopefully they have their hearts and minds prepared to receive your word this morning, and uh, Lord, we just pray that you are glorified in everything that we do here in this church and that we are focused completely on your word and who you are and to glorify you. And we praise in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.